Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, welcome to the worst girl gang ever. We are proudly sponsored by The Fertility Method, an online fertility preparation plan designed to offer everything you need to know all in one place. Because starting a family is not always easy. Designed by fertility experts who are passionate about educating and empowering women to take back control of their fertility struggles. The fertility method is suitable for anyone who is trying to conceive or planning to conceive in the next few months, whether that's naturally or through fertility treatments such as IVF. If you want to get your body and mind in top shape for a healthy conception and pregnancy, then the fertility method is for you. Head over to www.thefertilitymethod.co.uk or visit at The Fertility Method to get your free supplements guide. Finally, you guys can all get a cheeky 10% discount by entering Girl Gang at checkout. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. We are really lucky to be joined by Sophie Martin, who you might know as the infertile midwife. Hi Sophie. Hello, thanks for having me. So glad I could be in the studio. Oh, <laughs> yes, finally. A guest appreciates my joke. <laughs> thanks for coming into the studio on this uh, on this chilly evening. It's great to Whereabouts have you. Whereabouts in the world are you? Um, I live in Essex. Oh, okay. So you're quite... Yes, exotic. Absolutely. So you're living nice. in COVID central as well? Oh, yes. Big time. Mm. In fact, where I live is like one of the highest COVID rates in the whole country. Oh, really? Yeah. I've not had COVID, but my husband has back in March. Um, but other than work, I don't leave the house. So <laughs> that's yeah. fine. Yeah, I think the three of us, because I'm Sussex, so we're all attached to each other. And I think it's it's our counties that are the worst affected now, isn't it? Because I've stopped yeah. leaving the house now too. Can't be bothered. I did my first online shop. Your first something. online shop? Yeah, uh, in COVID, not first ever, but oh, first I was going to say first time I've managed to get a slot. Right. Well, maybe we should actually talk about what we're supposed to be talking about. Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, so from the top, Sophie. Now, we know you're a midwife, but whereabouts do you work? Is it hospital or, or community? I work in hospital um, in London, although I won't tell you exactly where, but uh, yeah, no. in London. Okay. And have you always wanted to be a midwife? Sort of. So my mum was a midwife um, and I just loved hearing about it. But I did go to uni and did like a completely different um, kind of topic first and then a master's and then was like, oh no. I do need to be a midwife so got a bit of a long-winded route to get there. But what did there. you do then? What did you do first time round? I did a degree in drama and then a master's in theatre and performance so Ooh, did you? Yeah. Oh wow and you didn't fancy did you do anything with it afterwards? No so I got halfway through my master's and was like no this is not for me I think I just need to be a midwife um, but I'm not a quitter so I finished the master's because it was already paid for and (laughs) (laughs) then I um, went into midwifery after that. And so how long goes that? How long have you been a midwife for? 
Um, so I've been a midwife for just over three years and then obviously I trained for three years before that and then I did work as a maternity support worker for two years before that so in total I've been at my hospital for eight years. So how long into being a midwife did you start trying to conceive? Pretty much straight away. And how long was the whole trying to conceive journey? Ongoing. Initially. (laughs) Mm. Um, So we tried for a year before we started IVF. So that, I think, was fairly quick um, to go to IVF. Yeah. We started to try and go down the NHS route and that was just long, basically. Yeah. Um, And actually, I would never have qualified for NHS IVF anyway because my AMH was so low, um, which no one told us, but I managed to kind of find out via the internet. Um, So... After a year of trying, I we went and it wasn't really happening with the GP and things. Um, we went to a private facility clinic that I had chosen, and we literally started IVF the next month. It was very right. Weird. So, when you were starting IVF, did you tell people around you? Did family and friends and work know? So, I we told my parents and James, that's my husband. We told his parents. Um, and I did tell my boss at work because obviously you would need time off and things like that. But I yeah. just started working as a community midwife at the time. Um, literally, my first week was when I started IVF as well. Okay. But weirdly, my patch where I worked, my clinic was in the patch. Um, so I could, they opened really early so I could go and have a scan and then I could just take my rucksack and go on with my visit so it right. really worked out really really well mm. and did you find it hard at this point when you were so early on in your journey did you find it hard to see women and their newborn babies no it was like completely separate I just don't think of that when I'm at work at all and is that still the case yeah it's just I really I just concentrate so hard at work yeah because I want it to be right all of the time, that I don't really have time to think about what's going on in my own brain, which is why I always, I worked through my whole cycle. I worked, I even went back to work the afternoon after my transfer because I was really glad of the distraction all the time. Yeah. Such an mm. intense job. Wow. So you've never had any of these difficult feelings? It's just not the same. Like it, when I look at, well, when I'm with a woman, her, my role is to support her so yeah. I can't be letting my own emotions no and yeah it's just it feels like just a switch that is just completely off when I'm at work yeah do you um, know when when I worked at the hospital I found there were two aspects to working at the hospital I found incredibly difficult going through trying to conceive and loss and firstly you are surrounded by female colleagues right the NHS is run pretty much, well, it's not run by women because no. <laughs> the people at the top are all men typically, um, but you, you are surrounded by female colleagues. And then the other part of it was whenever, and of course, all those female colleagues, because you're all around about the same age, they're all getting pregnant and having babies. But then the other part of it, when you walk down the corridor to leave work, there are women waddling through with their notes to their appointments all the time you can't miss them they're there and I found that incredibly difficult the Mm. colleagues bit I do get because 
yeah other I mean midwives just pregnant all the time yeah um, so I yeah I, I would say that that I would struggle with a bit more but the the pregnant people I mean we're, I'm surrounded by pregnant people is yeah. all I ever see um and it just I don't even notice it because like, every every single person is pregnant it, you don't even notice it's so normal yeah yeah Wow, yeah, I guess that's, that sort of normalised it for you, hasn't it? But because that's been your job for day, from day one, you have never thought of it as anything other than a job, I guess. But it's, I mean, it's so helpful for you to have been able to compartmentalise that. Definitely. Else, how would you go on? You'd go insane, wouldn't you? Yeah. Blimey. I think I wouldn't be able to train to be a midwife now. Right. Do you? Oh, hard. that's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, round one of IVF, What talk us through that, what happened? Um, so, round one of IVF, I think, I actually found the year before we started IVF far more emotionally difficult than the IVF itself. Right. And so, when we were doing IVF, it was like, yes, finally, we're doing something. Like, yeah. we might have a chance at having a baby now. Mm. Before, we, it just felt really out of our control that we might never get there. So, and I love a bit of structure and routine. So like doing all yeah. the meds and, and, and I really love in, injection, injections and, you know, I just love the control aspect of it. Yeah. So, well, the IVF did not go quite to plan. I responded really badly to like the highest dose of medication. Um, I was only growing one follicle for ages and I thought the cycle was going to be cancelled. Okay. Um, so I was devastated because I thought that my egg reserve was so bad that we would like IVF was never going to work for us Mm -hmm. and by some miracle we did manage to get a few more eggs at the egg collection day and so we got seven which honestly when I had one follicle growing when we got seven eggs it was like unbelievable and there's always everyone's always comparing numbers and that's why I'm actually quite open about my numbers because they're so rubbish seven I've ever got often I'll just get one egg um and you see everyone else and they're like oh I got 20 eggs and I'm like oh bloody hell wow. I got one, or whatever it was and so I got seven and anyway when it got to day five I only had one embryo to transfer um which we transferred and luckily I got pregnant after that um so first transfer with only one embryo to put back wow miracle it is amazing, isn't it? The the kind of almost lottery on that because I assume, I assume naively perhaps that in a in a one of these clinics the the structure and the procedures and everything is identical in all the clinics because that's how they make it work, right? Is it? Is that the case or not? I mean, the protocols will vary massively, even in between your clinic, depending on what sort of diagnosis you had. But oh, the, really? Yeah. But the routine of having either a daily scan or an every other day scan, that's the same. Obviously, egg collection and then you're waiting your three or your five days for your transfer. So it, it much, yeah, much of a muchness. And wh- what about the conditions with which, you know, the, the, the sciencey bit is done? Is that all constant or, or does that vary from place to place yeah it does vary so you've got obviously different embryologists and different labs will have different um equipment and technology and things like that so i would say yes they're very similar but obviously there are kind of 
nuances between all the clinics. So if you were to give someone advice that's looking to go privately to, for, to an IVF clinic, like how do you start looking for the right IVF clinic for you? Is it if, if you're going to go privately, because obviously if you're going to go the NHS, you're restricted to where you live, aren't you? But what sort of criteria would people look for? So I would consider myself a bit of a, a pro now because okay. <laughs> I've only been at two clinics, but I have had consultations with, I think, eight clinics. Oh, wow. when, right. When we were choosing our second clinic, I was really, really thorough because I didn't want to mess around. Mm. Um, so I would always say you need to choose the doctor, not the clinic. And I always think that if you're not going to see that doctor every time you go or if they're not overviewing the cycle, it's not worth it. Right. So at my first clinic, the doctor made the plan and then I never saw the doctor again. And it was whoever was on call that day would like review the cycle, but that could be a different doctor every time you came in. So there was yeah. no kind of no continuity at all. Exactly. Whereas at my new clinic, um, I see my doctor every time I go in, he does all of my scans, he makes all of the decisions with me. And I think that is the most important thing because it's not about the clinic, it's about that relationship with the doctor. And is that because that's what you asked for or that's what that doctor does anyway that's why I chose that clinic and that doctor because that's what I wanted because that's not available at all clinics okay that's what I felt was really really important okay Mm. and how far do you have to go so is this your current your current clinic where you are currently a a patient so how far do you have to go is it a long way from home or not not so bad it's about an hour and a quarter's drive okay I don't I don't think it's that far, but perhaps other people might. No. Okay. So your so your first IVF procedure was successful and you became pregnant. Um so talk us through what, what happened after that. So we almost felt like it had been a bit too easy mm. getting pregnant on the first round of IVF. I felt like, oh gosh, that doesn't happen. Um and then the next week I started having some spotting um, and it wasn't very much, but I was very anxious. So I phoned the early pregnancy unit where I work and said, I really need to come in. Um, and they were very kind and said I could. Um, and so the next morning I went to the hospital um, and I was really early on. So I was five weeks and five days. Um, and so they did an internal scan and the sonographer, she had the screen facing away and we knew we weren't going to see a heartbeat or anything like that because it was too early. Yeah. And she was chatting away and saying, oh, you had IVF? And we said, yes. And she said, how many embryos did you have transferred? And I said, one. Um, and so she's scanning away, scanning away. And then she turned the screen round and I saw it immediately, but James was a bit slow on the uptake. <laughs> Um, but there was two two babies there, or two. Well, they weren't quite babies. There was two like gestational sacs and two yolk sacs. Wow. Yeah. So, and what are the chances? So, I mean, you hear of people having twins at IVF when they have like two eggs transferred, right? Yeah, but it is. So, don't ask me the exact numbers, but it is actually slightly more likely for an embryo to split after IVF. Oh, okay. Really? Science, right? Yeah. Exactly. So. At this point, you've got two sacks with some genetic material in and no heartbeats, but 
so what they brought you back in a couple of weeks to to recheck or something then oh gosh i think i had like another little bit of bleeding so went to, uh, my the early pregnancy unit wouldn't scan me again so i went to my clinic um and similar thing you know two sacks and things and then we got to our <clears throat> oh, excuse me we got to our um seven week scan um and yeah there was there was two babies in there yay wow so how was the rest of your pregnancy then i feel really bad saying this because i know the outcome but horrendous and i hated it right um, which i think is just a massive taboo to say in general but especially when i went through so much to get there to start with yeah um, but I had awful morning sickness, right? Which, I, when I look back on now, I don't even know how I made it through because I genuinely wanted to die. I felt so unwell, um, and I w- didn't take any medication because I didn't want to. I yeah, and I didn't take any days off work, um, and so I really, really struggled, and. I was anxious beyond belief yeah. that nothing was going to go wrong. I guess yeah, you've had the bleeding. Well, you had the to go through IVF to get there. Then you had the bleeding during the early pregnancy. I had quite a few episodes of bleeding as well, which has really put me on edge. But right. then I was so poorly with the morning sickness that I, on the days where the morning sickness was better, I would be so anxious that something had happened. Yeah. And days that the morning sickness was terrible I had I just was beside myself with yeah, being I was, unwell yeah I was just yeah. Really, really really unhappy um which and yeah was hard yeah did that subside at all the sickness it went all the way up until 16 weeks um, and then it did get better um, mm. and then I started getting like pelvic pain which was excruciating um, and I just felt like I'm so bad at being pregnant. Like maybe mm. this is why I could never get pregnant because I was so crap at being pregnant. Oh, bless you. Yeah. Could you work or not? I made myself go to work every single day. I only had one day off where I got to the station with sickle down myself. So I went home, um, but I made myself go to work every single day and I have no idea why I did that. Yeah. And would you, if you went back, would you not do that again? Oh my god, I would just put myself on bed rest. I I think partly because because it had been IVF, I didn't want to make a fuss about being pregnant mm. and none of my colleagues like made a fuss when they were pregnant about having morning sickness. Mm-hmm. And I now know that obviously it was far worse because it was twins, but and I didn't want anyone to know I was really anxious either. I think the team that I was with were all lovely, but I don't think any of them really understood emotionally the toll that doing IVF yeah. had taken on me and how bad I felt about myself, like in terms of my ability to be a mother and things like that. Right. And do you think that you recognised that at the time? Do you think you recognised what what kind of trauma that you'd been through and what what scars in a way that the IVF had left on your mental health? No, probably not. But I knew, I knew I was anxious, but I just kept thinking, oh, well, it's because it's because you had IVF. So once you get to 12 weeks, you'll feel better and things like that. And I never did. Um, but I just, because I was booked at my hospital where I worked, 
I just didn't want to tell any of my colleagues the inner workings of my brain because it felt so taboo right because I hadn't mm. told anyone I was doing IVF and then it's, it, it, it's, it makes you really vulnerable to say I really want a baby and I think because a lot of people say it in like a flippant way but I really really wanted a baby and I think yeah, yeah that's quite a exposing thing to say mm. yeah I mean I feel terrible saying how much I hated it because obviously I know that it didn't end out so well but yeah I really hated being pregnant every pretty much every second of it yeah and where when was this what when were you pregnant <clears throat> what year um so I got pregnant in at the end of 2018 and then was okay. so just before Christmas so it's like mm-hmm. most of 2019 okay and so tell us you know what happened so I did start feeling a bit better after 16 weeks when the sickness gone but I was having the pelvic pain and I just was finding pregnancy quite difficult the anxiety just wasn't really going I was always worried that something was going to go wrong um, and then we went for our 20 week scan and we'd had an early anomaly scan and everything was fine and then we went for the 20 week scan and we found out that um, one of our twins had talipes, which okay. is foot. Um, and even though I know that it's actually not that much of a big deal, I was devastated. Mm. I just felt like it was another thing that I couldn't do right. right. Um, so I was, I was really upset. And because the twins were identical, but then one of them had talipes, I felt like there was going to be really unnecessary comparisons between the two or like, you know, I'd imagined at school the children being horrible to the twin with talipes and things like that. And I felt, I know that talipes is is not that much of a big deal. Like people hear far worse things that they're normally scan, but I was really shocked by that. And And of course you were already incredibly anxious. So that just, the thing is as well it doesn't matter at the end of the day it doesn't matter how bad it is that you want your baby to be perfect don't you you want your everything about the situation to be perfect because you you could never imagine um like like you say you imagine in school someone being mean and and that sort of thing that is like the worst thing for a parent to think about isn't it some like your your child being hurt yeah it's heartbreaking I've actually literally just this evening watched a film Wonder have you seen it oh yes um, Julia Roberts and um, Owen Wilson in it it's really worth a watch and that's about a little boy who's born with severe um, facial dysmorphia doesn't he wear the astronaut's helmet he wears an astronaut yeah it's based on a book yeah yeah and it's all about that but it's it's you can see so clearly the battle that the parents have as well because they just want their everyone to love their child as much as they love their child mm-hmm. without the c- kind of prejudice and stuff that is around these days so i totally see where you're coming from there it's it's a horrible thing to have to go through so what yeah. did they say at that scan did they was there a plan or yeah so i was going to go back the next week um to see the specialist but we actually never made it that far. So um, I was going about my day at work um, and then noticed that I was having a bit of bleeding and I actually wasn't worried at this point because it wasn't very much, but I was a bit annoyed because I'm rhesus negative. So I knew it meant that I would have to go in and have an anti-D injection. Yeah. Um, 
oh sorry my dog's just joining us that's all right that's okay so I knew I was going to have to go and have an anti-D injection so I went to oh here she is and um, <laughs> went to the um went to my hospital where I work and they checked everything over and they did a quick scan of the babies and everything was fine um, I had a speculum and I've had I've had this for ages a cervical erosion so it's just where the cells on the outside of your cervix are much more sensitive and they can bleed quite a lot okay. they were like oh it's just your erosion and um, everything's fine and I felt that everything was fine as well so just went home and the bleeding just carried on but it really wasn't very much I really wasn't very worried um, and so then the next day I was due to have a midwife checkup anyway so I went back and the bleeding still carried on but again it wasn't loads and yeah. I what well, yeah I wasn't that worried so then the third day I started to feel not right and it had sort of changed and it was really watery and I got to the end of the day and I was like do you know I think my waters are broken Oh. and so so were you 20 weeks at this point I was 21 weeks 21 weeks so then we went back to the hospital so I'd actually been there three days in a row and we went back and they did a scan and they could see like a really small hematoma which was fine because I'd had a few of those already um but then the consultant did a speculum and oh this just haunts me so she said that my cervix looked like a multips os and for those of you who are not medical basically it means it looked like I'd had a baby before because if you've had a baby before your cervix never closes so basically mm. my cervix was open right um, and was starting to change and when she said that I was like this is not good so um, like too late to put a stitch in I was actively bleeding so you wouldn't really put a stitch in if someone's bleeding right. so they admitted me and starting on antibiotics because they thought I was getting an infection because of this bleeding so my waters hadn't broken and um, but this dis like it was it was really watery which made me think the water broken and they thought it was an infection and um, because it was like a bit smelly which is gross and um, and like just yeah not very nice looking mm. so they admitted me and started me on antibiotics um, and I mean, even if they had wanted to put a stitch in, essentially, I just went into labour the next day after that. So, yeah, it was quite quick. Oh, man. Horrendous. And so you went into labour knowing what the outcome was going to be, knowing that this was not looking good. Yeah. So weirdly, they admitted me. So I stayed overnight by myself and I was, although at the time in denial, but I was contracting all night. Um but not very strongly. I would say they're kind of tightening, painful right. tightenings. And the next day, my husband had to go to work. So my mum came to be with me in the hospital and it got to about six o'clock in the evening and she was just about to go home. And I really wasn't feeling very well at all. And then all of a sudden my waters broke with like a massive gush. And, mm. and in that moment, I knew that that was the end. Like, that oh my goodness that there was no coming back from that point so then I just if anyone's had labor before once your waters break it just can really get intense so as soon as the waters broke I was like laboring really intensely and um, 
So we phoned my husband, who was at work, and we're like, you need to come right now. Was Did your husband at this time know how serious the situation was, or was there still sort of hope of of rescuing everything? So my husband is not medical, and I didn't phone him. My mum did. And she just said, like, you need to come here now. Um, and when he got there, that I was being wheeled into the labour ward, from the antenatal ward and I was yelling (laughs) quite loudly um well I think I was and he thought I was going to die so he was yeah really upset by what he saw because Mm. it was all really chaotic at that point oh wow so how long after your waters broke till you had the boys yeah super quick like two hours um to deliver the first twin and then like another 20 minutes second one um it was yeah and tell us about what happened once they arrived um so I gave birth to Cecil and then was very angry that I was going to have to give birth again um because that didn't seem very fair that I was going to have to give birth twice in one sitting yeah fair Um, enough so then I yeah gave birth to Wilfred and then I had to wait like an hour for my placenta to deliver, which was really long. Um, but in that time, it was like handover time as well, which is always like the worst time to give birth. Mm-hmm. Um, but the midwife obviously stayed with me. Um, but the so the boys were born alive, um, and so they lived for about ninety minutes. So during that time just me my husband and my mum obviously cuddled them and and I had to deliver the placenta which was so annoying and um, yeah and then after I delivered the placenta they both died oh Sophie mm. oh man do you know I know your story but it's just it's just still it's just shit isn't it and how did how did you cope following the birth of, of the boys? How did you reach out straight away or how did you build up your kind of Instagram account and start helping other people as well? So I was already on Instagram at this point and had been kind of charting the fertility stuff. Um, but when I was pregnant, I really found it hard to engage with Instagram just because I felt guilty for being pregnant with identical twins and also guilty for not enjoying being pregnant and also I really couldn't bear to read any stories about people having losses because I was worried it was going to happen to me yeah it did but obviously not related to reading stories um (laughs) no that that wasn't the cause (laughs) no but you know when your mind makes you go to those places of course and so after I lost the twins I obviously started back on well I never stopped, but I just was posting a lot less. Um, so then by, yeah, after I lost twins, I realised there was a massive baby loss community. Um, so, yeah, just started from there, really. Oh, and how no. have you gone on, how many um, cycles of IVF have you gone on to have since? Five. Another wow. five since, the boys? Yeah. Oh, wow. And did any of them take? No, so I, so we, 
I was desperate to do IVF as soon as I had given birth. I bet you were. Just because you want something positive to yeah. focus on. Um, but I had retained placenta for three months after I gave birth. And mm-hmm. um, it just felt like one thing after another. So I basically never stopped bleeding after I gave birth. Um, and I was just in this weird kind of grief buzz. Um, and the funeral wasn't until like a month later. And then the day after the funeral, I was suddenly like my brain had switched on again and was like, you are bleeding far too much for this to be normal. And I was like, God, why didn't you think of that? You're a midwife. Yeah. And I suddenly realised that the bleeding was really, really heavy and it was getting heavier. And so the day after the funeral, we were at home and I said to my husband, I'm going to die if I go to bed tonight. Um, And he looked at me like I had lost the plot, which could have been happening to be fair yeah. it was a bit unstable mm. at the time um, and so we ended up going to A&E and anyway it turned out I had retained placenta had an operation to have it removed that didn't work was supposed to have another operation but then I did pass this bit of placenta then I had so then I was like oh my god three months has passed and I've not done IVF this is terrible yeah so about to do IVF again and realised my cervix was ridiculously short so I had the suture put in so by the time we got around to doing IVF again probably six months had passed and I just felt like rubbish because Mm -hmm. I was seeing all these other people who'd lost a baby getting pregnant at the drop of a hat and there I was six months later I mean that's laughable now because we're like two years later yeah but because in my head I wanted to be pregnant again Firstly, before the due date, which yeah. didn't happen, yeah. so I still had retained placenta. Then I wanted to be pregnant like before a year of getting pregnant. Then I wanted to be pregnant a year before giving birth, which none of that happened. Um, and I just felt like if I'd got pregnant quickly, my brain would have been able to justify the loss, which yeah. makes no sense. But I'd have felt like, oh, well, I would never have had this baby if the twins mm. had died and things like yeah. that. That was my brain trying to make sense of it all. But obviously, none none of that happened. So there is literally no no reason for the twins dying, other than life being shit. Yeah. But I think you want to make some sense out of it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, going back to your original question <laughs> about the five rounds of IVF. Yeah. Do transfers after all of them. So the first one after having the twins, we didn't have anything to transfer, and then the next four, I did embryo banking. So all I did was collect the embryos and we didn't put any back because I knew my reserve, my egg reserve was just getting even worse. Okay, so Uh, so built up a bit of a stash. Yeah, so we changed clinics at this point after the second round, which was the disaster with nothing to transfer. So did you decide to do that or did your consultant recommend it? So I had decided I wanted to do it because I figured every time we did IVF, imagine if I was lucky enough to get pregnant, that's like over a year until you can have IVF again. Right. And in that time, obviously, my egg reserve was only going to get worse. And it takes the pressure off as well, doesn't it? So you're going through IVF, which is pretty stressful on the body anyway, but you're not having to go through that emotional turmoil of am I or aren't I pregnant? And then the anxiety of pregnancy after loss. Um, it's quite, if you, you know, you, you said you're the sort of person who likes structure and organisation. 
and and that that suits you doesn't it oh I loved it yeah I bet. felt like I was so we had to delay because of covid so I started the drugs for the first round of banking which would have been our third round in total um, and it got cancelled and so then obviously covid and all of those delays but once I started again I loved it because you feel like you're doing something mm. positive but at the same time you're right I didn't have any of those worries about actually being pregnant yeah. which I was really terrified about and obviously still am yeah um, of course so yeah we did four rounds back to back without a break which people are like how did you do that but honestly I felt really positive about everything um, so are we allowed to ask how many embryos you've got in the freezer so we did end up with one left over from our very first round because although on the day of transfer we only had one to transfer a second one was from the next day okay so we had one from that and then across four rounds we got five more embryos so when I say my numbers are really bad we got basically one embryo per round there was another round where we got two so okay. the numbers are so low like other people have got a whole other people could so I got six in the freezer other people can get that in one round it took oh, me five rounds. Like, yeah they could do that mm. wow so what's the plan then any more cycles of egg harvesting or no so that that's that's it if none of these embryos work we're going to call it a day on my eggs just we haven't got unlimited resources we've already spent a ridiculous amount of money yeah of I don't think I can put myself through it again and we just want a family so yeah, <sighs> everything crossed for you wow losing Cecil Wilfred was obviously just the worst thing that has ever happened to mm-hmm. us ever and actually as time goes on I think it gets harder and a lot of people will be like, oh, time makes it easier. And in some ways it does because it's less kind of raw, as yeah. in you're not living quite the intensity of the emotions. Yeah. But at the same time, you get further away from them. Yeah. Which is really hard. So, you know, every day that goes past, people think that you are better or that, you know, because we can smile at other things, they think that the hurt isn't still there yeah or other people are moving on with their lives or you know mm. and for the last you feel like you've been left behind well I feel like we've just been suspended in animation for four years right. and, mm. and then we were sort of like getting somewhere when you know I was pregnant and we were so hopeful that we might you know have a baby or two babies to bring home and then when that doesn't happen it's really difficult to believe that it can ever happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And how do you cope with the, call them the ugly feelings, but how do you, how do you deal with that? So it's probably not very mature, um, but I just massively put the blinkers on. So if there, like, if there's a close family member who was pregnant, I just can't really engage with it at all um or friends yeah I just massively will turn down the dial on the friendship until that's over probably not the best way but that is the only way that I feel I can cope with that that's Um, how I coped with it but did you do you tell people that that's what you're going to do do you say 
look, I need to take a step back. You know I love you. You know I'm happy for you, but I need to protect myself. Or do they just have like an understanding and accept that that's what's happening? A bit of both. So there's been... So I did have a really close friend who was pregnant at the same time as me with the twins. Um, And before her baby was born, I said, look, I can't engage with that. That's really difficult for me. Um, And she was really lovely about it. Um, And then I've had other friends that I've said, I really need some space from you. And I think what people don't understand is quite how long that space can go on for. So um, like my friend who had the baby at, at the same time, the twins were due. So we were pregnant at the same time. I still can't engage with her and I love her very, very much and we'll send each other like little cards, but I can't speak to her. It's it's really hard because you don't want them to not be able to tell you because you don't want to ruin it for them, but you equally can't cope with it yourself. So the best way is just to avoid it completely, right? In a way though, I don't feel bad for being selfish because these people have got other people they can share their joy with and joy is really contagious like you don't need my joy because you've got so many other people's like Mm. I think when people expect you to feel a certain way it's actually really selfish of them and it's really demanding of your you can't make demands on other people's emotions so Mm. I could never so if I was lucky enough to have another baby I would feel I feel massively different about obviously pregnancy now, but I would actually never expect anyone to be happy for me, weirdly, because my kind of pregnancy is not contingent on their happiness. Like their happiness is theirs to give. And if they want to give it, that's fine. But I should never put any expectations on that. Yeah. But you feel like that because you've been through this. So you can understand it from, from the other side. Whereas a lot of people that are going through baby loss pregnancy loss their friends and family haven't been there and and I think that's what we struggle with the most is is feeling this way and the people around us not getting it yeah totally and I've had like some friends like um got like one friend who just continued like just sends me pregnancy updates all the time unsolicited um and like I want to throw my phone across the wall and things like right that. You know, and mm. then I've got other people who are frightened to tell me things, and it's just complicated, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. It really is so so complicated. And but I, I think, think you hit you hit the nail on the head with the fact that you can't make someone else feel something. It's not fair of you to, and you can't like physically impossible. If like you, I can't make anyone else feel something, the way they feel is is the way they feel. Just as if I can't be cross with someone for feeling the way they feel because it's not the way I want them to feel Mm. it's I think that's a really interesting thing that people often don't take into consideration oh well Sophie I'm so sorry you've had such a a trauma not just with your little boys but also with everything else that you've been through um and thank you so so much for sharing it with us I think it'll bring comfort I think your honesty will bring comfort to a lot of people yeah uh, listening And it's absolutely amazing that you can carry on in a career that you love and still be so positive and passionate. Yeah, so any woman that gets you as their midwife is very lucky. Well, I'm not perfect, but I try really hard and I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. A bit like us, Laura. Not perfect. perfect. No. We try. We try. (laughs) 
<laughs> we do try. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Sophie, for joining us in the studio. It's been um, lovely to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me in the studio. It was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty swish, isn't it? Pretty <laughs> swish. You can see all my folded washing in the background. <laughs> and we even have oh, well, a dog. Yeah, your dog is gorgeous, by the way. It's a Westie. Yeah, but she's now under the duvet. Sorry about nice. that. Nice. She loves getting under the duvet and she'll just nudge and like her head until you lift it up. <laughs> oh, <cute>. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay then, girls. I'm going to go and have a gin and tonic. Another one, Laura. Oh, why not? Slope. Finish off the weekend. How I started. <laughs> All right, oh, okay. Well, yeah, thank you so much, Sophie, and take care and keep in touch, won't you? Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And please, please, when you have a second, rate us, review us, and share us, and let's get this taboo smashed. See you next week. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.